0: Embark on a journey of faith, fellowship and discovery with Vision Tours as you experience Australia's rich Christian heritage firsthand. Visit Christian heritage sites and museums in Sydney and across the Blue Mountains on this 10-day tour. Understand the people and events that shaped the fledgling colony with Outback historian Dr. Paul Rowe. Join like-minded people this November with Vision Tours. See tour dates, highlights and inclusions at vision.org.au slash tours. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
1: You and I are made to be Holy. And when we engage in the spiritual disciplines, we morph into people we never thought we could become.
0: Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Glad to have you with me. Last time we started a message looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, a verse about doing everything without grumbling. And so far we've heard about those who grumble about everything and don't want to change. And we've heard about those who want to change, but don't know how. So let's continue looking at how we can change and have transformed lives to be effective as salt and light in our communities. Here's Pastor Jeff now.
1: Now, would you not agree there are some things in life we can control? For instance, you can turn off your cell phone so that it doesn't ring during this sermon. You can It's something you can do. You can actually get to church on time. You can. It can happen. You got a plan, but you control it. You can actually decide that you will give generously. You can. You can decide, I am going to give to the kingdom of Christ generously. You can laugh at the senior pastor's jokes even when they're not funny. It's called sympathy laughter. Just like that, right? You can do it. But there are other things that you cannot control. For instance, you can't control the weather, right? That's God's job. You can't control the gas prices. That's obviously the devil's job. You can't control the Cubs winning the World Series. That would require an act of God. (laughs) But there's a third category. Third category. Like going to sleep. Now, now take medication out of it, like Xanax. Take it out. And when you think about going to sleep, when we lived in New Zealand, Delaney and Sion, they're about eight and 10 years old, respectively. Delaney... If you told him to go to sleep at night, since he was only half awake during the day anyway, going to sleep was not a problem with him because he was never really fully awake. So boom, he's out. Sion, different, uh, different person altogether, just energetic. And I would say to her when she was about eight, go to sleep, Sion," And she would say what? I can't go to sleep. Now, you can't make yourself go to sleep in the same way that you can reach down and make yourself turn off the cell phone. But there are things you can do to open yourself up to sleep. You can get in a dark room. You can lay on a soft mattress. You can stop talking to your brother, Sion. You can stop playing with the light switch, Sion. You can listen to a Dane Johnson sermon. Sleep is sure to come. (laughs) You can put some music on, some soft music. You can't control sleep, but you're not helpless either. You have a role to play. Now, stay with me. How many of you, could run a marathon right now. Some of you can. Yeah, some of you are training, some of you can run very many, but some of you can Now, how many of you could run a marathon if you really wanted to next year? A year from now? That's right. Some of you you can't run it if I gave you the rest of your life. And maybe not even in heaven, but right now. Now, now I said before I used to be a basketball player, but even when I was a good basketball player. No one ever accused me of being a great athlete because I was not. Running is, is just not something I do well. I even look pretty funny when I run. <laughs> but I met this lady, Allison Rowe, when I was a minister in New Zealand who won the Boston and New York marathons the same year. And she said, Pastor Jeff, she came to my church. She said, Pastor Jeff, I want you to run a marathon. Oh, are you ca- I can't run two miles without falling over myself. I'm going to train you. And she did. She gave me a 16 week program, and I would progressively run more and more. Diet was involved, everything. And at the end of it, my father in law, who ran 10 marathons in his 60s, came to visit me in New Zealand and asked me to train with him. I ran 22 miles at the drop of a hat, didn't die. I was okay, and my time was pretty good. Now, Michael Phelps is my greatest or my favorite athlete. And I'm not even into swimming that much, but the guy, God made this boy to swim, man. This guy is amazing. But I want to tell you something about him. I've used this before. Here's Michael Phelps' diet, okay? Breakfast, three fried egg sandwiches loaded with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise, two cups of coffee, one five-egg omelet, one bowl of grits, three slices of French toast topped with powdered sugar, three chocolate chip pancakes. Breakfast. Then he moves on to lunch. One pound of enriched pasta. Two large ham and cheese sandwiches with mayo on white bread, that's right, not whole grain, white bread. (laughs) Energy drinks, packing 1,000 calories. Then he moves on to dinner, one pound of pasta. An entire large, probably extra large pizza and more energy drinks. His workout routine, by the way, you can eat like that too if you do this. He trains six hours a day, six days a week. And even if it falls on Christmas Day, he still trains. He swims approximately 50 miles a week, 80 kilometers, over eight miles a day. Now, the question is, why does he do it? Because that's what an Olympian does. And at no point, I guarantee you, does Michael Phelps say, I wonder if I can stop all these disciplines and still be an Olympian. He understands that they're inseparable, that God made him to swim. But when he engages in these disciplines, he morphs into an Olympic gold medalist. Now, compare that with this person. Now, this is the not-so-nice segment of the sermon. Let me give you a warning, because you know Pastor Jeff still loves you, though. But compare what I just told you with this person, a person who has no regular diet in the Word of God, none. No effort to engage the Scriptures other than for a few minutes in this 30 minutes on the weekend. No effort whatsoever to attend a Bible study of any kind where the transformational words of God can penetrate their busy lives and schedule. Little to no involvement in Christians' lives to pray and hold each other accountable. The spiritual disciplines are simply not there and there's an apathetic approach to holiness. They really don't care. And yet they wonder, why is there no spiritual soul extreme makeover? How could there be? People who are making progress in this, they know something. They know 2 Timothy 3.16 is powerful. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what I've learned in my life, folks. Now, pay attention. Even if Look, if you're here as a visitor and you're not in this Christian stuff yet, just follow me. This works in business. It works in your faith. It works in every walk of life. And here's what it is. If you focus on the process, you'll get the goal. You focus on the goal, you'll get frustrated. You focus on the process, you'll get the goal. That's what achieves the goal. You focus on the goal, you'll get frustrated. It's too big. You say, what about what the Apostle Paul said? He says, I reach forward toward the goal. He knows the process. Our part is to work out, to get serious about a spiritual diet and a transformational workout routine that is at least equivalent to an Olympic swimmer. Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That Greek word transformed, by the way, is metamorpho, uh, metamorpho, which is the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. You can morph Phelps was made by God to swim. And when he engages in the disciplines, he morphs into somebody he never thought he could be. You and I are made to be holy. And when we engage in the spiritual disciplines, we morph into people we never thought we could become. Without them, no progress will be made. No matter how bad you want it to happen. I'm so committed to this and believe that our church has got to go deeper before it goes wider, (laughs) that in May, we start a program called Engage, and everyone in our church will have access to this online thing of God. You know, God can use the online internet too, you know. You'll be able to go on, and the first thing you will do is take a spiritual assessment. I can't wait to do it. I want to know where I am in the journey. And then day by day, just for a few minutes, it will tell you your next reading, your scripture reading. And there are some great devotional writers in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. And then you will read those writings put together and well thought out as men have been given this gift and women. And you will read the passages and you will read and you will start to map your spiritual progress in order that you could get from here to there. This is called spiritual discipline. It's called a regular diet of taking in the words of God it's going to take an effort. I can't wait. Tuesday night, 672 people showed up at Bible study. 672. It was amazing. First night to see the people who are hungry for the word, for those who want to go deeper than we're able to do in 30, 35 minutes on the weekend. It was amazing. And that, let me tell you, if you were there, don't give up. It was a little heavy that first night. Do not give up. And something beautiful will happen to you. Think about studying the entire Bible, the way we're approaching it on Tuesday nights. And transformation will start to happen in you. The word of God will come to shape and form. Galatians 4, Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's in pain. He wants Christ to be formed. Focus on the process and you will get the goal. Okay, that's us. What does God do then? Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now look up, oh, this is so beautiful. I want you to think about the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. Let's do the motorboat first. Motorboat, I'm in control. I start the engine. I control the speed. I can go where it is that I want to go and how fast I want to get there. When I was up in Big Bear with Delaney last summer, we rented a speedboat. You can do amazing things, but you control it. You can have accidents if you're not careful. Not that that happened to me, but you can have accidents if you're not careful, if you go too fast, but you're in control of the motorboat. Now, contrast and compare that with a sailboat. In a sailboat, You are totally dependent upon the wind. If the wind does not blow, you're dead in the water. But neither are you passive. Because as the sailor, it's your job to hoist the sails and allow the wind to take you where it will. And a good sailor can look upon the lake and discern the pattern of the waves and the ripples where the wind is the strongest, hoist the sail, and let the wind take him into deep water. Now, I want to read something to you that hopefully will open your eyes to this passage, maybe for the first time. It's in Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, and here's what he says. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Do you know what he's saying there? While you're engaging in the spiritual disciplines and morphing, do you know what God is doing? He is blowing the boat of your life into troubled waters to shape and mold and conform you into the image of his son. And my question is, What storm are you presently facing that you're interpreting it as God's abandonment when in reality it's God's shaping? And here's what I've learned in my own life. The more I engage in the spiritual disciplines, the less God needs the storm. But the less I engage in the spiritual disciplines, the more God needs the storm to wake me up. If he's not going to teach me through the word and I will not engage in the disciplines, then he'll teach me through the reality of life hoping that I will run back to the word when I get in trouble and the power of the word will get on on the inside of me and it will transform me. Look, there's a great story. Time is the enemy. Every weekend, it is the enemy. In Mark chapter six, stay with me, almost done. In Mark six, Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000, 8,000 probably. Men, women, children. <laughs> it's a beautiful story because the disciples are running around trying to figure out how they're going to feed this big crowd. Now, Jesus is watching them to see what they'll do. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, send them all home. Just send them home. We don't have enough food. Nowhere near it. Send them home and feed themselves. Jesus says, oh, Why don't you guys feed them? And of course, Philip and Andrew say, What? <laughs> eight months wages. There's no way we can feed them, man. We don't have that kind of cash. Jesus is hoping that one of them will say, hey, whoa, Jesus, you're Jesus. You can feed the crowd, man, just like that. You walk on water, you can do that too. But nobody does. Philip tries to get the money, and I think Andrew tries to go through the crowd gathering up as much as he can, and he comes up with five loaves and two fish. Jesus, after a while, frustrated with the disciples that they just don't get his power yet. And the reliance on him says, all right, fellas. And he prays and he thanks God for what he's about to do. And then they end up taking 12 filled baskets of extra food after they fed all these people. Now, the Bible says in Mark 6, immediately after that happens, do you know what Jesus does? He makes them get into a boat. So they've just fed the crowd. And he says, get into a boat. And he doesn't get in the boat with them. He goes up and around up on top of the hill to watch he knows a storm is coming and he wants to see if they learned anything so the storm comes and once again the disciples they're panicking anxiety fear shaking he's hoping they will say wait a minute jesus just over there there's no problem he'll protect us we're good but they don't they panic they freak out so jesus has to do a little water walking And that's supposed to kind of be a reminder. Look at this guy, storm's no problem. I'm kind of having some fun. Want to join me? Walking on the water. And they still are so terrified they don't even recognize it's him. Now let me ask you something. Who else would be walking on the water? (laughs) And then he says this. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. They didn't get it. And my question to you is, do you get it? What are you you misinterpreting? You think God's abandoned you. In reality, he's leaving you in this storm until he shapes, molds, and conforms you, until you stop kicking against the goads and submit to what he wants to do in your life. Oh, man. If I'm a little more passionate than usual, it's because... I'm starting to see this in my own life. You know, I've come out of this sickness, whatever it is I had. Now, I still have little episodes, but they're, they're fewer and far between. And I hated that time. That was a storm of my life. But can I tell you something I noticed about myself? May- maybe you're like me. When I was in the middle of it and I really thought I was gonna die and I felt really horrible and I, didn't, I thought I was having a heart attack, I mean, I thought I was really gonna die. I had no trouble. Zero trouble making the effort to read my Bible every morning and pray. And do you know why? Because I really thought I needed God. No trouble. But now I'm feeling better. And I'm noticing that every morning now, the voices that come in, And tell me, Jeff, you better get to the office. Jeff, man, you got a phone call to make. Jeff, you better answer that email. Jeff, you got to write that article. Jeff. Now, see, when that voice came to me when I was ill, I just said, Who are you kidding, man? I can't do anything outside of the power and the strength of God. Those will wait. But now that I'm feeling better, I have to force myself into those disciplines. I have to push myself toward those things. God knows something that you and I do not. The storm is the most effective place to get our attention. Where we will sit before Him and read and pray, and our soul will be formed. Come, thou fount of every blessing, written in 1758. The writer writes these words: "O to grace, how great a debtor! Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. A fetter is a shackle or a chain." Bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. My goodness, that's me. Prone to wonder, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. What shackle is in your life right now you think is binding you, but is meant to free you from something so that you can bind your heart to God? Your part, spiritual discipline. Without it, forget transformation. God's part, to notice your passion about the disciplines of spiritual transformation and to blow your life into troubled waters in times when he wants to shape and mold and conform. And he's gonna be watching how you respond. Father, we are thankful for the power of your word for Philippians 2. We are thankful for the fact that you're patient, that you love us, that our salvation is dependent only and solely upon the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) Father, I pray, though, that there'd be a great movement in our church towards spiritual transformation, that that apathy that we have about it, that we'd really care and that we'd really respond (laughs) and that we'd make some changes in our lives that transformation might come. We are thankful and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines, And I hope that's encouraged you to seek the transformed life, to see change in the areas of life that need it and to seek hope in Jesus. Join me next time for another message in this series, Salt and light.
1: Jesus wants to get the message to the thick-headed disciples that the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is good news for everybody, even people on the other side. You with me? Okay. Now, don't miss this next part because you know it's kind of like this is this is like where it all culminates. If you miss this, you miss it all.